welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I'm here with Dr. Kelly Freyden, a pediatrician and mother of two from New York City. Dr. Kelly is a graduate of Harvard College and Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons, and her career has focused on children with chronic medical conditions and school health. As an advocate for children, she wrote Parenting in a Pandemic, which has provided calm, realistic, and evidence-based advice to families during the stressful time. She is a wealth of knowledge, and she shares parenting and children's health information on her Instagram page at Advice I Give My Friends. Today's topic is an important one, but one that is rarely discussed circumcision. As soon as you are told it's a boy during your pregnancy or after giving birth, it's a decision that you are faced with. Should you circumcise your son or not? Some parents do lots of research before making this decision for their son. Some think little about the decision and do what they are familiar with in their own family. And some let religious beliefs lead their circumcision decision. Whichever way you choose, let me first say we are supportive of both sides. However, at Baby Chick, we want all parents to be informed and make their parenting decisions from a place of knowledge and understanding. That's why I'm thrilled to chat with pediatrician Dr. Kelly today about circumcision. So let's welcome Dr. Kelly. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast, Chick Chat. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And should I call you Dr. Kelly or should I call you Dr. Freyden or whatever is fine by me? (laughs) Fancy. Perfect. Well, it's such a pleasure having you on and chatting with us about circumcision, a topic that we know can be controversial. You know, some people either think very little about this decision or they have extreme opinions. (laughs) And with you being a medical professional, I'm looking forward to learning more about the facts and sharing these details with our listeners so that they can make a more informed decision about whether they want to circumcise or not circumcise their son. Exactly. And, you know, I just like to put it out there that I'm not an expert, you know, on the topic. I'm a pediatrician. I don't actually do circumcisions in my practice because the OBGYNs do them around here. But I have had a lot of friends and a lot of patients ask for my guidance and reviewed, you know, everything I can with an emphasis on sort of the AAP guidelines, the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines. So I'm happy to share the medical background to the procedure if that's helpful for parents. Absolutely. I agree. So yes, let's get started. Can you tell us what is a circumcision? Right. So, you know, the healthy newborn penis has a a little bit of skin, the foreskin that covers the tip and the meatus where the pee comes out. And a circumcision is a procedure that removes that skin. So like every procedure, it does involve a little bit of risk. It's possible that there can be bleeding or infection or pain, but generally it's very it's a pretty well tolerated procedure and there are ways we can talk about that those risks are minimized. Great. Yeah. Well, I would actually love to learn kind of can you tell us actually about the history of circumcision cuz I know it's changed and evolved over generations and centuries. <laughs> so can you maybe tell us a little bit about that first? 
Sure, absolutely. You know, I think that circumcision really began as like a cultural or religious institution. So in many different cultures, they've evolved this practice of removing the skin. In Judaism, some people of the Muslim faith, some areas in Australia or sub-equatorial Africa, like they have developed this practice either in the newborn period or later as like a coming of age ritual. So circumcision, it doesn't have its tradition as being a primarily medical procedure. Right, right. Yeah, I was going to say my understanding with, you know, the research that I've done, it's actually not as common. It's very common here in the States, but it's not as common worldwide. And yes, and it's not typically treated as like a a medical necessity or a procedure that needs to be done even in a hospital. Absolutely. I mean, in this country, it's remarkably different in different groups, you know, as many as like 90% of Caucasian people may have it, but only 44% of Hispanic people. And in other parts of the world, you know, in Asia and Europe, it's relatively rare with less than 20% of people getting it. So there's not really a standard to do it or not to do it. It varies considerably. Yeah. And I agree. A big part of that with a decision, I think, is the religious aspect. And that, of course, we respect. But I think I think that some families are misled thinking that Christianity, that you need to, to do it as well. And I'm like, actually, that's not true. I think it's just Judaism and the Muslim faith. But... <laughs> But that's something that you should talk to your priest or pastor or whatever about. Yeah, I've noticed that some people think, oh, well, isn't that isn't that something that I should do for my faith? And that's something else that I they should probably look into, correct? Absolutely. You know, I think that that it's very important that people consider the other perspectives because primarily I think this is a complex personal decision. So there there are ethical values that come into play too. Like some parents, you know, they'd really prefer that their child be the one to choose when they're old enough to make the decision. And some people are are against newborn circumcision for that reason, that they really want to encourage the autonomy of the child. And that's something I absolutely have to respect because I appreciate that sentiment. But, uh, you know, at the same time, when you delay circumcision and do it later in life, there may be more risks. You know, you may need general anesthesia or the procedure may have higher rates of complications. So we do feel this pressure as parents to kind of decide early on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As a mother to a son, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to make this decision. (laughs) It's such a big one. And it's a lot of pressure, but coming from a place of knowledge is always where we want to form our decisions. So what are the different types of circumcision and how are they performed? So many different people can perform. I already mentioned that, you know, OBGYNs, urologists, family medicine doctors, surgeons, neonatologists, and pediatricians, so many different people do circumcisions, even, you know, people in the community like Moyles, and they all may have their own preferred technique. So the best person to tell you exactly what technique they'll use is the person who would be doing the procedure, but generally they all involve some kind of anesthetic, either a topical cream or an injection to numb up the area. Often we give the baby a little bit of sugar water or have them suck on a pacifier also to make them feel comfortable. Then the the surgeon uses often some kind of clamp to kind of secure 
the foreskin, you know, kind of pinch it off to the side (laughs) so that the extra skin can be cut away safely. And in the newborn period, there's typically very little bleeding and there's typically no stitches. You know, afterwards, it's typically wrapped in a petroleum or like Vaseline soaked gauze. Then the baby, you know, we try to leave that in place for about a week or as soon as it comes off on its own. And typically the Babies don't have a lot of signs of pain after the procedure, though, you know, if they do, that can be treated with a little Tylenol. Okay. That's good to know. So you just said, I mean, that's really, really helpful to kind of get an idea of what to expect so that parents aren't, because I'm always like, you should be there when that procedure happens (laughs) because, you know, it's your baby. And so it's a big procedure and, and they want your comfort. It's also important to realize that, you know, sometimes when babies are born, there may be factors that we don't anticipate that might make the decision one way or the other. So, you know, unfortunately, rarely babies are born with very, very tight foreskin, such that the foreskin kind of swells up when the baby goes to pee. And that condition, phimosis, sometimes makes it medically indicated to remove some of the foreskin. Or on the other side, if there's a problem, like maybe a twist to the penis where it kind of points in a different direction, or if there's the, sometimes the PP comes out a little bit below where it should, it might be unexpected that you're not able to have a circumcision right away. So sometimes you spend all this time and effort making the decision in advance. And, you know, I think it's helpful for parents to know that sometimes other factors may make the decision on your behalf. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of like with anything in parenthood or birth or, you know, sometimes the decision's made for you. (laughs) Yes. I had a family member who had a congenital heart disease unexpectedly. And it was like, whoa, this, you know, we were going to, but now we're not going to because we have other things we need to focus on. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So you said a bunch of different people who can perform circumcisions, but where can these be done rather than just a hospital? Where, Where can a circumcision be performed? So, uh, you know, most common is to do it in the really first week or two of life because in that period, the rate of complications is lower and the procedure can be done generally without general anesthesia. If you get past six weeks or in many places, really, if you're discharged from the hospital in that newborn period, typically they'll advise waiting until at least six months and, and doing it with a urologist. Because as the baby grows, those are the people who have access to the operating room and the anesthesiologist who can do the procedure in the safest way. So typically it's being done in the hospital or sometimes, you know, if it's particularly with the Jewish faith, you know, doing it around day eight of life with a moil in in a more traditional setting. Right. Usually, yeah, in their temple. And I was going to say, do you know why they wait till the seventh or eighth day to perform that during their bris or? I don't know offhand. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fine. Because I I believe it's something with like, it helps with the clotting and and they're waiting. I don't know. So that's why I wanted to to ask, but we can, we can look more information up for that later. So does a circumcision, you said, you said it doesn't generally hurt the baby, but you know, sometimes they do cry. Like, does it hurt the baby? And what is given for that pain relief? You said like a cream or an injection. What, what are those? 
Yeah, so it's the same kind of numbing medication they use when you have a cavity, right? Like it's a, to- a lidocaine with a little bit of, it's called epinephrine to help it stay in the area. So that's typically what's used. I do think that the injection is probably a little more effective at making the area totally numb. But then, of course, it's an injection. So so sometimes people will prefer to just use the local anesthetic cream, which would have to be on for 15 minutes or so beforehand to kind of numb the area up. To be honest, I think there is concern that babies do feel pain and that circumcision when done later in childhood may be kind of traumatic for the kid to have their body changed. So I don't want to dismiss the idea that it is it is a procedure on the privates. But when I was a pediatric resident watching many circumcisions, I did frequently watch babies sleep through them with appropriate analgesia. So I think especially for those being done in the first few days of life, they are they do tend to be pretty well tolerated. And how can a family best prepare for a circumcision if they've decided, okay, we've decided to circumcise our son, we've talked about the pros and cons and what's best for our family and what we feel comfortable with, what can they do to prepare? Well, you know, I think once you've made your decision, it's pretty easy. You know, you're, you have hopefully identified the person who's going to be doing it and made sure that you feel confident that they're qualified and you're comfortable with the techniques they'll be using. And then to think about the recovery piece, mostly they'll go over that with you directly, but it's just about keeping the, the biggest thing I would encourage people to do is keep the area kind of lubricated with the petroleum jelly or Vaseline to keep any irritation from the diaper from like rubbing the, the area as it heals. And normally, normally it does heal up, you know, without a problem. But of course, if there's any sign of infection, like redness or swelling or purulence, like discharge from the site, you'd always want to get that checked out. Right. Okay. And touching on that, you you mentioned recovery. So what is the recovery like after a circumcision? How long is it? What should they be doing? What should they look for? Yeah. What what are things that they a parent should do? So Typically, it's just, you know, you you have that petroleum gauze in place and you are keeping the area kind of covered with the petroleum jelly after diaper changes. And then after a few days, that gauze will kind of fall off. And then really the area, it heals pretty quickly. Certainly within a week, it should just be intact, though it may be like a little bit pink as it heals, you know, more long term. So it doesn't really require much on behalf of the parents. Okay. Okay. I know that it shouldn't be dry and touching directly the diaper, that it should always be pretty much lubricated until healed, correct? Yes. But that will prevent a lot of complications. Tears Tears from both the baby and the parent side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Great. So can you tell us what are the pros and cons of choosing circumcision? Yeah. So I think in terms of the medical literature, one of the things you'll see mentioned is that it decreases the baby's risk for urinary tract infection. It's actually like in the first six months of life, as much as like 10 times less likely for the baby to get a UTI. But as you're weighing that, you want to think that the risk of getting a urinary tract infection as a baby is pretty low. So, you know, in terms of that being a guiding force for your decision, it's likely that an uncircumcised boy has about the same risk as a girl as having a urinary tract infection. It's not such that being uncircumcised is like a great big risk factor for urinary tract infection, but it, it is it is a benefit that we see less urinary tract infections in the group of people who are circumcised. But I wouldn't personally find that to be 
a very motivating factor. I was going to say, I think it's like around like one or 2%, like less or something like really minimal. So that's why I was like, okay, yes, it decreases it, but it's less than 5%. (laughs) So yeah, you're right. It's very minimal. You'd have to circumcise a hundred boys to prevent one urinary tract infection or something like that. It's like (laughs) a small benefit. But, you know, if there, sometimes there are factors like for maybe there's like an anatomic reason to think your baby's at high risk for a UTI. Sometimes we, we pick those up that might influence your decision a little bit. The other benefits that you'll see are like decreased risk of penile cancer. Again, this is something that's a pretty, thankfully, very rare condition. So I don't find it particularly motivating. Another one is that some studies have suggested that it may decrease an adult man's risk of contracting, you know, HIV or STDs. And now a lot of that literature comes from countries, not the United States, where public health initiatives are focused on reducing HIV in whatever way possible. So I'm not sure, again, that most of the parents who are listening to this podcast will find that to be a very motivating benefit. Certainly gonorrhea and chlamydia are still big issues here in the United States, but there are other other ways that we'll hope that our teenage and, and adult sons will prevent those infections, you know, by practicing safe sex. So I don't particularly find that motivating either. I think the thing that you'll see if you read a lot about the risks and benefits is that sometimes uncircumcised penises have have some complications. We can have those foreskins that are too tight or a condition that is kind of caused by caregivers, which is that if you're like retracting the foreskin forcefully, you know, you can pull it back and then not be able to get it back down. That's called like a paraphimosis. And so one thing that's really important if you're choosing not to circumcise your children is that you know how to take care of an uncircumcised penis. And I think this is particularly an issue because what we have often are like clusters of people who decide one way or the other. So so if you're in a community where most people are circumcised and you don't choose to circumcise, the the doctors and nurses taking care of you might not be as used to emphasizing like the proper care, you know, of the uncircumcised penis. But I think it's really important because, you know, in the Bronx, I took care of a lot of uncircumcised penises and I did see a lot of complications, but mostly it was from improper care. So I think it's important that we take the time to educate on like the normal development of the uncircumcised penis and like how to take care of it. Because what happens is that like, let's say you don't circumcise. Most infant foreskin should not be able to be fully retracted. That's just like not how it's made. <laughs> you know, that foreskin is still kind of developing. So by kindergarten, like 90% of uncircumcised boys should be able to retract their foreskin, but still like one out of 10 can't. And it's not until puberty that some of those boys are able to retract it. And so people get concerned about hygiene, you know, because everybody wants to keep the private area clean and they feel like they need to be cleaning under the foreskin. But it's sort of similar to how you think about little girls' privates. You know, it is like a self-cleaning kind of area and you, you really want to avoid pulling too hard or forcibly retracting it because that will, that will prevent a lot of complications. Because I hate hearing those used to justify circumcision when it's like just a little education can prevent a lot of those. Um, (laughs) Right. Because what you'll see is that like, you know, especially in those boys, before you can retract the foreskin, you'll see some white discharge, 
which is going to, it's not a sign that there's like an infection or that it's dirty. It's just kind of the normal way that that, that skin is kind of taking care of itself under there. It's self-cleaning. So, so sort of like, don't bother it and it won't yeah. bother you. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, right. You'll see some people say as much as like, if you take a boy who is uncircumcised, uh, you know, they'll be a hundred times more likely to have a complication requiring a doctor's visit than one is that is circumcised. But again, those are all minor complications and they're mostly preventable with like good hygiene and appropriate care. Oh, the other piece I should mention is that when you get to potty training, you have to talk to your son about how to take care of his own penis and, you know, babysitters and daycares to make sure that everybody else who's taking care of, of your child's aware. And that's basically just wiping. You don't have to pull, like you said, retract or anything. You don't have to really do much, Exactly. Right? Exactly. I think when you get to the potty training age, you know, more and more people will start thinking like, we should be able to pull this back. And again, some kids you will be able to without any effort, but most kids you, you probably won't be able to yet. And that's okay. Yeah. And I'm usually at that point, whenever parents ask, I'm like, just don't mess with it. It cleans itself. As long as it, there's nothing on the exterior, like just wipe that down, then you're fine. <laughs> yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's really helpful. Do you have any other lists of, of pros and cons of choosing circumcision before we talk about the pros and cons of not choosing to circumcise? You know, I, I think I've mostly just touched on the medical, the medical perspective right here, because obviously there's a lot of factors outside of that. So parents can consider those sort of non-medical influences on their own. There are many, you know, the desire to kind of like fit in with your peers or look like your dad, if your dad's around, are other factors that may make people choose circumcision. I think, you know, the con of choosing circumcision may be that your child may grow up and be like, wow, I really wish that you hadn't done that. And that that they had been able to have the say. I mean, there are adults out there who are very vocal about the fact that they felt like it wasn't their choice and it should have been. So, so I think that's worth considering. Okay. No, that's helpful. So then what, what would you say are the pros and cons of not choosing to circumcise? And that can be for infants or them becoming adults as well. Yeah. Well, obviously it's an advantage that you're not having to worry about a procedure during the newborn days. You know, you get to skip that anesthesia and worrying about any healing of, of the private area. I think that one of the cons is if you don't circumcise at the beginning, there is a possibility that down the line, something may come up and make you wish that you had. I would say it's pretty rare, maybe one out of a hundred or less, that sometimes you can get some complications with that foreskin that aren't necessarily prevented just with how you're carrying with it. Like sometimes what happens is like little bridges of skin can form between the penis and the foreskin. And then you might go back and say like, oh, we do need to have this taken care of because it's causing pain or, or causing difficulty peeing. So, so that's just one small drawback. Again, I do think that's rare. If it was, if it was significant, we would encourage people for medical reasons to choose circumcision. But you know, I think it's rare enough that really medically either way is going to be appropriate. Okay. Is there anything else? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the advantage, maybe some people would say like it's natural, you know, you're not interfering with how your son was born. That might be an advantage for some people. Yeah. I know that some people have said, 
that it can be more stimulating or helpful in their sex life after once they get older, (laughs) having that extra skin, that there's actually more nerve endings and it provides better lubrication and it makes intimacy more pleasurable. And I've heard something about also that it can help with dysfunctions down there. So if they're not able, they're having a hard time saluting all the time (laughs) when they need to, that having that can help. But I, I wasn't sure if these are accurate. So I wanted to double check with you. You know, I'm not as familiar with with the medical literature about this, but in sort of the summary position statement from the American Academy of Pediatrics, they do say that there's probably no difference in sexual pleasure and functioning later in life based on their research. But I can imagine that there is probably a function to that tissue because it is, it does have a lot of nerve endings. It probably has a role in sort of your healthy bacteria functioning and in your immune functioning, um, because it is like an immune rich kind of tissue. So we may not understand like the full, the full significance of removing that tissue because it hasn't been necessarily as well studied as we'd like. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that's helpful. So what are, what is the percentage of circumcisions being performed on baby boys in the world versus the U S do you know? Yeah. You know, I looked it up before we were talking and, and it was, maybe 30% on average across the world, like less than 20% in some areas, like in Central and South America, Asia, Europe, very rare. But then in other areas, it's it's very high. So it kind of balances out. But more more men are uncircumcised than circumcised worldwide for sure. And I think that that surprises a lot of people when they hear that, because here, like, again, in the in the United States, it's it's fairly common. But I, I want to say, at least from my clients that I've been working with who are delivering sons, I want to say that more people are, it's probably even with the clients that I, I work with, from people choosing to circumcise versus not. So the whole, oh, well, I don't want him to feel like he won't fit in, or he'll be different, the whole locker room situation. And I say, well, you know, at least here where I'm located in Texas, I want to say that I'm seeing more people choosing to not do it. So whether you choose to circumcise or not circumcise, he's not going to be left out. (laughs) There's going to be someone else who looks like him too. But I, I, I just was curious in your practice, are you seeing the same kind of statistics or not really? You know, it's it's funny because I'm in the Bronx for pediatrics, which is really like a very diverse area. And probably because of that, it's almost 50-50 in this area. So I agree with you that I don't think the, I think like being uncircumcised is common enough that it shouldn't be anything to be embarrassed about. And the same with being circumcised. Like I think it's, I think it's fine either way. So why would you say, Dr. Kelly, why, why is circumcision on boys normalized in the U.S. compared to circumcision on girls? Because we could be circumcised as well, but it's it's a big topic. I think it, there's even a law that you cannot circumcise a girl without her consent. But with boys, it's not like that. So why is that? Yeah, it's a good question. So circumcision in girls. I mentioned at the beginning that sometimes circumcision is indicated for medical reasons in boys, like when the foreskin is is too tight. And there's really no medical indication for circumcision in girls as a parallel. And I mentioned how in men, it doesn't seem to have a known for sure detrimental effect on their on their sex life and functioning. Whereas with women, part of the circumcision is to, you know, 
remove the clitoris and the tissue around the clitoris. So by definition, the act of circumcision in women will impair their sexual functioning. So I think it's for that reason that it's like just considered a really like different procedure. Although, you know, in in some parts of the world, female circumcision is common. I think even in some of those areas, though, it is more and more, you know, condemned by the governments and made illegal in those parts too, though, for that reason of the, the, like not having a lot of known benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, and just, I'm so appreciative that you're willing to talk about this topic because it is kind of considered like taboo or just a really sensitive topic. And why is that? Why can't we just be open about a decision that parents need to make (laughs) and feel comfortable about this topic without feeling like I'm going to be judged or whatever? Why, why, why do you think it's like this? Oh, I know. You know, you know, I went back and forth about even being willing to come talk to you because I, I, was, scared to, <laughs> I was scared to offend people. But I do think it's good to get the information out there because I think in today's society as parents, a lot of times when we're talking about doing anything to our bodies, we approach it through this medical lens of like, we want what's best for our health. And here is a topic where as doctors, we're not able to guide you definitively. I think male circumcision seems to have a low enough risk and a slight benefit to make it so that it's it's medically acceptable procedure, but it certainly isn't such that it's medically mandatory or or something where it's very clear. And I, you know, I think unfortunately parents are left in the muck to decide for themselves and when when my friends ask me what to do, I encourage them to look to the men in their lives for guidance. If there are men whose opinions you value, your your partner, your dad, to say like what what would you do? Like what what do you wish had been done to you? Like how should we approach this? Because I think it is something that can be done just based on tradition and, you know, to respect the input of the men in our lives. Because I'm a woman, like I can't say. I I hear these men saying that they wish they hadn't been circumcised. And it does pull my heartstrings a little bit, like that these men, there are men out there and they're more and more vocal who feel like they were damaged by them circumcision. And I have to respect that. And I have to respect the opinions too of people feel who feel like the child's autonomy really matters. I do always want to give to kind of empower children and advocate for children. But then again, you know, I have seen many circumcisions. Never have I seen a significant complication from a circumcision. Never have I thought a baby was being like tortured or really harmed by a circumcision. I've known many adults who have been circumcised with, who have healthy sex lives. I, I do think that it's a topic that we might, for some, like kind of blow out of proportion. I've heard some pediatricians kind of equate it to a cosmetic procedure. And I think that's like one lens by which we can view it, you know, like kind of like more in the ear piercing realm of um, discussion, which might make it easier for a parent to approach. Yeah. The only thing is when you pierce your ears, that can close. When you take off skin, that can't grow back. That's <laughs> true. That's true. And, and poor parents, we have to, but you know, it's hard, like it's hard too, because it becomes a bigger deal. I mentioned this before, but I think 
in infancy, the rate of complication is very low. Like it's only minor complications, like one out of 200 cases that might have a little bleeding or something. But then when you get to older children, I do think it's a more involved procedure. You know, there's general anesthesia, which has side effects. There's stitches involved and more healing complications. There's it's more traumatic when a when an older person is having a procedure, you know. So we have this pressure that, like, ideally we would be psychic and know what our children would prefer and be able to do it when it's an easier procedure. So you know, at the end of the day, I think we just have to make our best guess of what what we think will be best for our children, and then hope it works out that way. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And I, but I do want to also say to parents who are listening, all of the things that you just listed is absolutely true. Yes. That it requires general anesthesia. There might be more complications if they need a circumcision later in life, but majority of people who don't get circumcised, they never do unless it's like a personal choice. Like it's very, very rare. So I don't want people hearing this and being like, oh, well, I don't want him to have to go through that procedure and go through pain. Well, he may, he probably more than likely (laughs) will never have to unless he chooses to, because that's something that he wants. So that's something that I do want to say is that you're not necessarily preventing something because it'll more than likely never happen unless, again, he chooses that that's something that he wants to do to his body, which then absolutely, that's his decision. I think it's pretty rare for uncircumcised children to either require medically or elect to circumcise later in life. I think most of the time, you know, you get used to what you have and and it's a healthy, functional, perfect way to be and and you never look back. So in that way, I think it's like, parents should find some peace too. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be fine. You guys, (laughs) it's going to be fine. But again, always just thinking about these things and feeling like, all right, I did my due diligence and thought about it, listened to this and heard the pros and cons. I talked to the people around me that are important, like my partner. Like I had, I did the same thing. I told my husband, I said, okay, we're having a boy. How do you feel about this? And in his family, everyone has been circumcised. And I said, okay, if you can show me a piece of information, like please do your research that will really benefit our child having a circumcision, you know, then I am happy to do it because I don't have a penis and I don't understand. (laughs) And he was like, okay. And so he had that homework assignment and something that he actually did bring up that, you know, kind of like broke my heart. He goes, well, will girls think he's disgusting? that he, and I'm like, oh my God, no, like, (laughs) that's so sad. I mean, some girls, if they don't even know what they're looking at half the time. So So that's why I'm like, you know what, have these conversations. They shouldn't be taboo and decide on what you feel comfortable with and what you feel is right for, for your child, whichever way it is. But we never would have probably talked about that if I didn't say like, no, we need to make an informed decision. We're not just doing this just because because whatever, that's what we've done. I mean, in the eighties, like a hundred percent of like (laughs) male Caucasian males got circumcised. That's just what it was. But now less people are doing it. Less of my clients are doing it. I want to understand why should we do it? You know, and if we do great, but if we don't great, I just want to know, I need more information than just that. So that's at least where I came from. But at the end of the day, we just want all of you to feel good in your decision-making as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I think it's definitely easier. I've had these conversations with, with parents and with friends where it's like, you know, I mentioned the medical data and then it's like, so what do I do? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can't tell you what to do. I, I think you really just have to decide on your own. And I, I agree with um, involving your support system to help you make the decision, doing it in advance. Like this is not something you want to be blindsided with at the hospital when your hormones are crazy and you haven't slept well. <laughs> like, no, just decide in advance and, and stick to your guns about it. And hopefully at least the medical piece is reassuring that most boys who get circumcised do great and most boys who don't get circumcised do great. So yeah. There's, there's no losing. <laughs> no, no losing. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. So Dr. Kelly, what resources do you recommend our listeners to check out before making this decision? So I'm going to share with you a website from the the Academy of Pediatrics that sort of breaks down their perspective on it. And, you know, one thing that we did, I didn't really mention is part of the reason that pediatricians are involved is that Sometimes that by saying it's it's a medically neutral decision, we we do want to have people to have access to safe resources. So in some places, people are advocating that it shouldn't be covered by insurance, and we want to want to. I think the pedi- pediatric perspective is you know that the risks are justified by the benefits, such that we want people to have access to safe circumcision by an uh, experienced licensed provider in a safe setting with good anesthesia and stuff like that. And we don't want it necessarily to be a financial impediment, you know, if people make the decision. So, so I think it's interesting for the listeners to think about it through that lens too, that part of the reason that we're, we have to consider sort of the fallout from our decisions if we're, if we're balancing these risks and benefits from a health perspective and thinking about insurance coverage and all that. I think it's a whole another lens by which you can view this discussion. So I'll share that link with you. Great. Great. And we're going to share, we're going to list all of these links that you are mentioning in our show notes. So you guys who are listening, if you just want to be able to quickly click and read through, you will have access to all of that. Great. Yes. Because if you choose no circumcision, I'm going to give you the resource for that that too, because that's one that you'll have to kind of remember over the life of your son. Like, you know, when he gets to start handling his own hygiene, you'll still have to be remembering um, <laughs> how, to, how to talk to him about those things. So we'll bookmark that one. Perfect. Perfect. And, and so uh, what are the, what are the sites? You don't have to list the whole thing, but what are the, at least the .com or .org sites? Right. So the AAP has two different articles about uh, their policy about circumcision that I think might be helpful if you're trying to decide. And then there's a great resource at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia website that I've shared with friends and patients about how to care for an uncircumcised penis. It's easier than it sounds, but it's just worth, especially if you're making a decision that's different than the other people in your family, worth worth making sure you're, you know what you're doing so you don't mess anything up. <laughs> Awesome. Yes, that is so helpful. Wonderful. And another resource, I know that there's a book called The Circumcision Decision. And it actually is coming from two different perspectives. One, they believe in circumcising and the other one didn't. So it's interesting to kind of kind of hear or read through both, both decisions and determine kind of which side of the fence you kind of lie on. So that's another good resource is The Circumcision Decision uh, book. So I wanted to throw that in. But Dr. Kelly, any final thoughts or words of advice for our moms? 
you know, I'm worried that we've left people more confused than when they started. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I want to I apologize for that, but it, it is just a complicated decision. So I think it's good for people to know about these resources and to know that they're not alone if they're struggling with making the decision. They can always talk, like you said, to talk to your friends and, and family, to talk to your pediatrician and, and your OBGYN, the people who may be involved in the procedure can help you have some more clarity. You're not alone in making the decision. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And it's so true. It shouldn't be taboo. You should be able to talk to friends and family members and not be uncomfortable or whatever, because it's part of life. You, you know, it's part of parenting, <laughs> the decision. So yeah, you should feel supported and, and good in the decision that you make and, and they can help. Definitely. I love that. Awesome. Dr. Kelly, where can our listeners find you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I am on Instagram at advice I give my friends and I have a, like a website and a little newsletter with the same kind of name. And, you know, I'd love to connect with some of your listeners there. Yes, we would love that. Oh my goodness. So I'm going to list that in just a second, but this was, this was incredibly enlightening and really helpful. Dr. Kelly, as a parent to a son, I know that again, this is a heavy topic and a decision that should not be taken lightly. So thank you again for answering our questions and chatting with me today. Of course, of course, I'm happy to. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners out there, to learn more about Dr. Kelly, visit her on Instagram at Advice I Give My Friends, as well as her website, www.advicegivemyfriends.com. And check out her book, Parenting in a Pandemic How to Help Your Family Through COVID 19. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions about circumcision or have stories of your own, please share them with us in the comments. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave an honest review. Thank you for tuning in and cheers to more empowered parenting. Mm-hmm.